Hi, this is Tamsin Granger. And this is Dan Abuhoff. With Tamsin and Dan Read the Paper on Sunday, November 15th, 2020 by George. Thanksgiving is getting close. It is, and we're here with our special guest. But who cares? What do we mean? Our special guest, Miss Thanksgiving, Sadie Abuhoff. Sadie. But she's welcome not here for Thanksgiving. Well, she will be. Uh, wait, welcome to the podcast, Sadie. Let's make it clear. I'm not here for Thanksgiving. I'm going back to my apartment and being there. Some people have been asking, oh, are you here for Thanksgiving? The answer is no, I don't spend weeks at a time with you, All right. unfortunately. You'll, you'll be back. But my point is, we're here with Sadie, who's contributing to the podcast. We have quite a lot to cover. It's been quite a busy week because these two gals were off gallivanting during the week to Mohonk. They took a you know two day trip to uh, Mohonk Mountain House. True, true, true. And uh, you had a good time, right? Yeah, it, it poured. Oh, a little bit. It's a little I would bit say of rain. It was a heavy mist most of the time. A heavy mist. A heavy <laughs> um, mist. Enough to make it unpleasant to be uh, outside. So Sadie and I had this annual trip, which we've talked about before on the podcast. But uh, you know, of course, we were skeptical about going this year. Mm-hmm. Because of COVID and right. all the restrictions and the risks involved in going to a hotel. But you and I had been to Mohawk in September and we had acquainted ourselves with the measures they were taking yes. and we felt comfortable. And so Sadie and I made reservations and we went back. And uh, it was fine. Although they seem to have tightened up some of their um, precautions since uh, I was last there. So I'm not sure exactly why that is. Is that is that because of the surge or is it because of feedback they got or whatever? But um, uh, it was... Well, you found it all right then, you say? Yeah, I would say we went on a couple um, hikes and did a couple activities. And the general chatter amongst the group was that everyone felt very safe in that environment and felt like the rules were being enforced in a very polite way. Like if people... You know, you have to wear your mask pretty much the entire time unless you're in your room by yourself. Um, and people were very gracious about, oh, you forgot your mask. Oh, do it. put your mask up. You know, like nothing rude or mean, but just like gentle reminders about playing by the rules. Yeah. And of course, they're swimming. You know, you don't have to use the mask when you're swimming. And when you're outdoor hiking by yourself, you don't have to use the mask. But they were very strict about how many people could be in the pool area yeah. and letting people in. Mm-hmm. One at a time. Well, and, you know, and tracking everyone who did every activity, they would track them closely so that they could, you know, trace if they needed to. Okay. But so most of it, most of the things we did were same old, same old, except. Yeah, except. That's what I wanted year, to get to. Go ahead. We signed up for tomahawk throwing. Tomahawk throwing, yes. Which is the same as axe throwing for everyone else in the world, <laughs> which has been a popular, you know, like a happy hour kind of. Is that true? Yes, yeah. it's kind of joined the ranks of, you know, like a bar type activity of no like kidding. people will go bowling, people will go, you know, throw darts at the bar or whatever. Axe throwing is kind of a new shtick. Oh, I didn't know that. So I, I wasn't going to do it, but uh, unbeknownst to me, I was signed up. Well, and, it was the type uh, of thing that because of contract contact tracing, if you were going to do an activity, you had to, like if you're going to be in the vicinity... You had to sign up. Well, what do you mean unbeknownst? And Sadie, did you sign your mother up? Yes, you had to sign up for everything. <laughs> I, see. I said to, I said, when I signed up, I said, and my mother is coming, she may or not, may not participate. And they said, okay, I'll put her on the list. Okay, so there you go. And you so were I got there, there and, 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 I and, said, you, and you were the store axe thrower, I understand. Not, store- not remotely, but I did actually hit the board once 
which was far more than I anticipated. Yeah. And, and I think it was in the bullseye, wasn't it? It was pretty close. Yeah, well, there's a photo. We can go back to the photo. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, yeah. And, and of course... It happened at the very end, because at the very end they said, well, what the heck, guys? Why don't you try throwing two tomahawks at once? Woo! And uh, so I did that. Yeah. And because I was freed from any um, constraints of trying to do it right, yeah. I accidentally did it right. Well, yeah. the way. Her challenge in the first few was... She was going so slow that there was a lot of extraneous movement by accident. <laughs> Whereas when she did two at the same time, like she said, she forgot about... Right, just what the heck? Boom! Let it rip. But of course, Sadie was more of a natural. Yes, well, Sadie, I, I understand, was asked to move farther away from the target because of the force of her throw. Is that true? It's true, but I will say that was, you know common with many of the people oh, I, see. I don't i don't know i don't want to say it was so unique there were guys there that were like hitting it the first time really and many times it's harder than it looks i would say really but it was, well it was confusing for me because the guy said it you throw it like you're throwing a dart but i which i, I kept repeating really throwing any darts. i would just be like like a dart Throw it like a dart. Like he kept saying, you cast it like a rod. Don't throw it like a baseball. But how does that help you if you don't throw darts? And if you don't well, fish. <laughs> I'm just taking whatever the guy said and just repeating it to mom. <laughs> That's great. Like That's you're great. casting a rod. Come on. <laughs> That's the kind of help. But the instructor was very nice. Yeah, right. But speaking of casting a rod, I will say they had grumpy old men as the movie on Thursday night, and it made my life because that's like one of my favorite movies. The Walter anyway. Matthau Jack Lemon classic. Yeah. Yeah. Mohawk yeah. has won me over again. <laughs> <laughs> and the great thing about Mohawk, it's not like they have a movie theater situation. They have a pretty decent sized TV set, and people can sit around and watch it. That's the Mohawk style when they yeah, show It's not a even a decent sized TV set, <laughs> it's like 40 inches. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's decent size. But um, that's movie night. Meanwhile, I went to a lecture on the history yeah. of Mohawk. And? And uh, which started out with a big crowd of two people, right? <laughs> and uh, then expanded to a few more. Uh, but and and I highly enjoyed that because uh, you know I like to see a uh, history of buildings and hotels, and you know I'm you know interested in, in how the business developed and the biz- and and the idea that this uh, wonderful hotel started with two Quaker guys. They didn't even serve alcohol. Well, you know, that's that to me uh, so. is consistent with the theme of grumpy old men. <laughs> you had two grumpy All old men. All the activities the, the are hotel. a little bit on the lame side. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, you know? Um, and uh, somehow, for me, it works. There's a lot of schlitz in grumpy old men. Really? Yes. Oh, well, that's, that's a they now do I have drink. To watch. They do drink. Schlitz, huh? Well, that's, uh, you know, uh, how can I say? Working class beer. Uh, I, I would call. It. Okay, so, so it was a fun field trip, and um, then and we've had a nice weekend here in uh, PA, mm-hmm. uh, celebrating uh, Granger's birthday, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, so that was fun. So any excuse to eat cake and ice cream, yes, we're in. I know. Uh, yeah, well, you have to bake the cake. All credit to you, but uh, yes, and make the ice cream. Your hands full. No question about it. Well, speaking of travel, there's more exotic travel they were writing about in the Wall Street Journal. It seems an odd time to be talking about it. Yeah, the Wall Street Journal had a big travel section, and I think they're trying to make people, they would seem to be trying to cheer people up. Okay. They, they weren't too heavy on, look at what you can't do. They were saying, here are some wonderful dreams you could have, yeah. and a few of them you could actually do. And one of them they suggested was possible was going on a swim vacation 
in Turkey. Mm -hmm. And so there's this wonderful, it's the only article from the travel section I actually read because it had this wonderful picture of people just out swimming in this beautiful blue water uh, in uh, along Turkey's turquoise coast. Well, it's, it's, they're serious about it. When you read it, it's, it, it's not a goofy, you could do this in your dreams. It's like people are doing it. They're going to Turkey and they're swimming. Well, reason, well number one, they could go to Turkey. Right. Uh, Turkey has no restrictions about people coming from other countries. They don't have very much COVID. So you have to be a little bit brave in that sense. Um, Also, so they went with a company named Strel, run by Borat Strel. Okay. Okay. And uh, it was affordable. Mm -hmm. The cost of six nights, seven days, $1,000. Wow. Include per person, wow. including meals, right? breakfast, hotel, uh, the transportation, uh, lunches, lunch and tea. So apparently, as you buy your own dinner, wow, uh, but that, that's um, a good deal. That is a very good deal, and uh, it, you know, it was uh, it all for the oh, couple look. that wrote. Kathleen Hughes wrote the article. She goes with her husband. And her husband's a, quite a good swimmer. She's also a swimmer. She's a triathlete. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, she describes swimming through water, gazing down at submerged Greek ruins oh. uh, under the surface. Be still my heart. Oh, my God. Yeah. That sounds fabulous. Uh, and they, they swim around Except islands. you've got to open your eyes underwater islands. to see that. There is that. They that did is. about, yeah. what was it, 4,000 plus yards a day. That's a lot. Yeah, but it was over the whole day. It I'm wasn't saying. like, okay, now we're going to swim 4,000 yards right. out to that right. island. But that's, it was that's, that's swimming clearer. in the morning. That's yeah. uh, about two and a half miles. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't like... They say the water's pretty warm. Warm, and it was, seemed, It looks in the pictures calm. <laughs> well, look, the, the thing is, to me, the key is, how good a swimmer do you have to be? And uh, she gives you a sense of that. Uh, although what's a little bit ominous is that she's a triathlete, which means she's a reasonably good swimmer, and she's in the slowest group. Well, I will say that the website of the Strel Company says swimmers of all levels can be accommodated. Uh, What what else would they say? Okay. And you know know how that would happen. If you can't swim two and a half miles, you'll swim half a mile, and then you'll ride in the boat. Let's get down to cases here. here. Let me just say... The range of people on the trip they went on yeah. um, was age 28 to age 74. I got that. But uh, look, here's what we're talking about. Let's be specific. I'm not as good a swimmer as you are. So uh, I think you could do it, and clearly you're up for it. Sadie could definitely do it uh, fairly easily. Uh, and uh, I would be the closer case. Uh, not that I, I could probably swim the distance, but it would be at a pretty slow Pace. I think the other concept here is you have to commit yourself to either being in the water or on a boat for several days. Yeah. Which is a specific commitment to make. Yeah, but I think that's... The, the, You're gonna be they make pruny. it seem attractive. You're going to be pruny for seven days pruny. in a row. <laughs> I don't think pruny is a problem. Which not everyone is on board. Yeah. Well, I, would, I wouldn't want to be in the boat for seven days. Well, you know what's interesting, to too? Is apparently, there's swimming vacations is like everything else. It's a thing. It's a category. It's not like they invented a swimming vacation for Turkey. 
I mean, the people on the boat are talking that they've been going on various swim vacations. Yeah, the, the 74 year old guy. Yeah, has been to Ellery like McGowan, eight swim retired vacations. swim coach and oh, marathon well, swimmer. Well, there you go. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> so that doesn't 20 count. swim trips. Yeah, all right, there you go. Mostly with a company called Swim Trek. Yeah, okay. Two locations, including Baja, Vietnam, that, Mallorca, and Sardinia. That's not making me feel better about it. They, 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 look, uh, it's an interesting thing. It's a whole kind of vacation I had no idea about. We Turkey notwithstanding. It's kind of funny that we never even thought of it. Well, we always, we, we might do it. Trips, we done. might do it. The important thing people have to know is if we do it, we're going to talk about it. So it's something that you can look forward to, uh, and we'll see how that goes. All right. So we, uh, you know, we were inside the last day or two a little bit, uh, recovering from the Mohawk trip, uh, and we uh, did something that I haven't done. It's a tough recovery for you, huh? It is. Uh, you know, I was nervous without you guys. Um, we watched the Hallmark movie last night, and not just any Hallmark movie, a Hallmark movie called Christmas in Vienna, which apparently uh, is, is, was a big Hallmark movie. I mean, so much so that we're watching this movie, and we'll get to it in a moment, that Granger's sitting there and he says, you know, this is like number nine in terms of the most tweeted uh, events going on right now. You know, in the Twitterverse. Don't, don't you think that that happens with every Hallmark movie premiere? News to me. This time of year? Hall- you know, you know, there have been numerous articles, and in fact, I think we've even talked about it on the podcast, of just how big the Hallmark well, Christmas movies are. Well, it made no are. impression on me until last night. It has a whole following. I think, don't they have conventions, Sadie? They have, like, Hallmark yes, Christmas it's a, it's conventions. It's a big world. I think mean, number eight was Black Lives Matter. Number nine is the Hallmark movie on the in Well, the that's because it was happening right then. All right. In any event, uh, so what do you think of uh, Christmas in Vienna? Say you've watched a few Hallmark movies. I thought it was pretty standard as Hallmark movies go. It followed the formula. Followed yeah. the formula. Well, the Sadie, formula that was great. What, that was a great formula? thing about having Sadie there. Tell us the formula. She tells us the formula. She tells us, you know, who the people are. Yeah, he's in a lot of stuff. Blah blah blah. blah. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, Seriously, she's really knowledgeable. What's the formula? Well, there's usually. I was saying last night it's usually a love triangle, but then I realized there are kind of two forms. It's either like a love triangle where someone has like a a boyfriend or girlfriend they're about to break up with and then they meet someone else and they realize they have to break up with this person so they can be with this other person. that's high drama. And then there's the other version, which was last night, is where there's a widower or a widow who has some crazy kid or whatever and then it's this whole like oh i could never be with anyone again because i'm devoted to my kids and then they meet this person and it's like oh this person likes my kids and they like me um, well this movie let's 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 be honest about this was kind of a ripoff of uh sound of music i mean it was taking place in austria it was a guy with kids who uh, you know was looking for a mate because he lost his wife. He and, and, and there's a recital at the no, end. No, it's a, even <laughs> even before that, it's the governess in a sense who he falls for because this woman who comes into his life, who the kids go gaga over, and then of course you're right. There's a recital at the end in which guess what? The whole family sings, sings a song, sings a song <laughs> at a, a spontaneously. So. You know, and with again back in Austria, so total ripoff. Of, but you know, there's no inspired lawsuits. by inspired by perhaps. But there yeah. was no clothing made out of the drapes. Yeah, unfortunately. Well, look, there were a few details. Uh, they have a budget. But anyway, you said um, actually, uh, Dad reported to me that um, after you know, I'm I went to bed after Christmas in Vienna, but the and you said he went to bed after Christmas in Vienna, but the rest of the group. Liked it so much, they watched the next. I watched Walmart the next. Yeah, I watched the movie. next one. I didn't get through the whole. And thing. And he said it was even better. Oh, it was. I didn't say even better. I said it was better. 
So it was uh, called uh, Jingle Bell Christmas. Uh, just to give you, let's see. No, I, I thought it was Jingle Bell Bride or something. Okay, yeah, something whatever. about a wedding. The words Jingle and Bell were in it. My point is, it, it, it's about this woman who's got this crazed, awful career in which she's pandering to these celebrities to make celebrity weddings, and she's looking for a promotion, and she's acting on the every whim of this spoiled celebrity, trying to get this, trying to get that at the last minute. She works in Manhattan, of course. And uh, and two weeks before the wedding, the woman about to get married says, what I really want is Jingle Bell flowers. Huge amount of, you can't get Jingle Bell flowers, it turns out, unless you go to Alaska. This woman has to go to Alaska. She goes to Alaska. She meets Prince Charming, who, you know, at first doesn't look like Prince Charming, but becomes Prince Charming. And she can't get back from Alaska because there's weather and, you know, you can guess the rest of it. Uh, so, but the difference was the guy was pretty good. In the first one, uh, the girl was kind of a live wire, but the guy was kind of a dud, so I couldn't get into it. But then, you know, uh, I think we'll be watching more Hallmark movies. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, the other thing that I, what amused me about the, the formula when yeah. Sadie explained it to us, it, at one point it looked like that the couple, you know, the potential love right. couple right. was going to kiss. And Sadie said, no, 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 no. No kisses will happen. Until, Until the last five minutes. Last five she minutes was right as rain. Yeah, Even yeah. though there were eight times during the movie that they were, it looked like they were kissing. Leaning kiss, in. And the woman actually says to the guy, I think this is when we might kiss. And they don't. As <laughs> if she's she's commenting on the script while they're in the movie. So there was another movie you mentioned that you saw, Sadie, which I which got an odd review in the Times, which was Rebecca, uh, which is the uh, remake of a movie based on a book. Uh, Remake of the Hitchcock movie. Hitchcock movie in 1940 or so. And it is from the book, uh, Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier. Yeah, and and the Rebecca movie in 1940 is much honored, considered a great film. Uh, And this, uh, what do you think? Well, first of all, it came up on my Netflix because I was watching something else and it just like popped up as like the next option. Mm -hmm. So I thought, oh, maybe this is a rom-com. I like Army Hammer. Right. Not a rom-com. It's not a rom-com then. I still, I like Army Hammer. I thought it was good. It was a way different story than I was expecting. It's nice to, you know, I'm used to the Hallmark plot. So having a lot of (laughs) twists at the end was different. Well, it's a little bit of a mystery. I don't think we need to get into the details of the plot here. But what I thought was interesting when I looked it up on IMDb, it said that the Hitchcock version ended differently because of censors prevented them from the um, someone getting away with a crime, yeah. like not being punished for a crime. I thought that so was they interesting. Changed, they changed the plot in the Hitchcock version, so the newer version is more... Um, Accurate to the book. Yeah, well, the the uh, movie was considered great. Lawrence Olivier was in the movie. Joan in, Fontaine. In the Hitchcock. In the Hitchcock, in the 1940 film. Uh, but I will tell you, that, you know, it's not often that I get a lot out of a New York Times uh, movie review. But this was a pretty good review. Pretty funny, at least. The review of the new Rebecca begins with the line, Who thought this was a good idea? <laughs> and uh, it says, look, I'm reading it literally. It says, I mean, look, I'm not against something on Netflix that features Army Hammer in great clothes and Lily James in even better clothes. I'm not made of stone. But Rebecca is a flimsy cardboard box full of nothing. How's that for a harsh review? Harsh. Hmm. 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 But uh, uh, so it was also interesting to me because I'm on kind of a, I don't know, 1940s 
British literature kick oh, as, lately. As one and does, of course, yes. Well, we noticed uh, just the other day we saw an ad for a miniseries based on Rumor Godden's book, right. The Black, Black Narcissus. Narcissus right. And uh, so that's That's coming exciting. up. That's coming yeah, up, that's yeah. coming towards the, the end of November. Well, that's so also... So I love, oddly, I love Rumor Godden. Well, for, I don't know that's why. also the remake of a great movie, but yes. Yeah. yeah um, and uh, so I'm looking forward to that, all right? And from this same period, I'm actually reading a book, um, or just finished a book called I Capture the Castle. Mm. By Dodie Smith. Yeah. You know, same basic time period, you know, that uh, British, you know, um, writing of the period is, I don't know, it's just got me uh, in its grips lately. And uh, what's fun about that is Dodie's other famous book, Dodie Smith's other famous book, mm. 101 Dalmatians, yeah. which also became... A great movie. A great literary classic. Um, so, uh, what's it? What's it? Oh, Cruella de Vil. I wonder if, if she actually has the name Cruella de Vil in the book because it sounds like such a Disney I don't name. Know. We, we would have to read the book, but uh, um, you haven't read it's it. It's available to you. Apparently not. Um, not recently. No. <laughs> okay. All right. So here's here's just to show you what happens when you guys go away. Left to my own devices. Well, Granger and I left to our own devices. We watched uh, a movie. Uh, on Wednesday night, we saw um, a not Hallmark. Movie. And now we're called. We, we went and saw My Dinner with Andre. Now, My Dinner with Andre was a film that you and I, Tamsin, saw in 1981. In the village. In, in, oh, did we see it in the village? Yes. Oh, well, we were. Very cool, huh? We were a very cool young couple. There's no yes. question about it. In the village uh, 40 years ago. And it was a strange movie then, and it is a stranger movie now, uh, but it's great. And it's, it's just a movie of two guys sitting it's and talking. exactly what it is. So in he, a restaurant. Yeah. So it's it's two guys, and the two guys are Wallace Shawn, who you see he's ubiquitous in sitcoms. He's even in Young Sheldon. He plays some teacher or something. He always plays a goofy kind of nebbishy guy. He's in a lot of Woody Allen films. But the truth of the matter is that Wallace Shawn is first and foremost, I think, a playwright and a downtown playwright, North Broadway playwright, writes some interesting plays. Uh, and his father, of course, famously was the editor-in-chief of The New Yorker, an anonymous figure. And uh, he's there having dinner with Andre Gregory, who was a French theater director who carved out quite a career and, and ran an experimental theater company in Manhattan called The Manhattan Project. And as, as you described, Hampson, it's just the two of them having dinner and talking during dinner in a restaurant. And All within the same night or over a period of time? Just one meal. And they're sitting there in this, and, and they're, they're in the restaurant. So you see the waiters coming, the waiters talking, they're ordering, they're looking at the menu when they're talking back and forth. But that is it. And uh, Wallace, and, and it's slow at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And uh, Wallace Shawn is mostly listening to Andre Gregory, who's much more urbane, much more sophisticated, and a very captivating speaker, uh, and uh, very facile language, very well spoken. Um, but he starts telling this story about, you know, Wallace said, gee, you've kind of fallen off the face of the earth. You've kind of disappeared. And Andre explains he's been on, on a spiritual quest. And he starts talking about these strange experiences he's had. And they're so wild about going to these strange countries and going to a forest with 40 people he doesn't know. And they, they forage around for meals. And then they put on spontaneous theater. And they're just crazy. I mean, I was reading a newspaper while I'm watching this for the rest of 20 minutes. But at a certain point, the dialogue begins and Wallace starts pushing back because Andre is kind of off the rails. He's interesting, but he's a little out there. 
And while at the beginning, Walls can agree with him because they're talking about theater. I mean, Andre's theories about life become so extreme. Uh, uh, and he's kind of casting away all rules and all norms that Wallace starts pushing back and says, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, he says, listen, I have my life. It's not much of a life, but, you know, I go home. I see my girlfriend, Debbie. I will read a little bit from the autobiography of Charlton Heston. I wake up in the morning. I hope the cold coffee is there without a cockroach. That's my life. That's a life. And they go back and forth. And uh, I can't tell you how it works, but it works. And uh, What did Granger think? Granger liked it too. Liked it quite a bit. Are you sure he wasn't just being nice? No, we talked. We were talking about it the next day. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't. I didn't even advocate strongly to see it. Um, Granger had heard about it, and he said he'd seen a snippet from it. He thought it was interesting. So here's the funny thing about it. So it takes place in in what is apparently the Cafe des Artistes, which of course is a, a restaurant which you're much familiar with in New York, a great restaurant. Um, so there's a level of orifice in the movie. Because it's a movie, all right? And you know they had to work on lighting and directing. And Louis Mal, famous director, actually directed. They had a director. And they actually worked through the dialogue. It was, it was scripted. It seems unscripted. But here's the funny thing. Uh, the level of artifice is such that it turns out, even though it was made to look like the Café des Artistes, it was not filmed at the Café des Artistes. It was not filmed uh, at any restaurant in New York. It was filmed in Virginia, where they try to recreate a New York restaurant, and you'll never guess where it was filmed. No. It was filmed at the Jefferson Hotel. <laughs> the one in Richmond? Exactly. Because there there's more than one Jefferson. No, the one in Richmond. The one that we stay at when you're down running in, this, in Richmond. That this is great hilarious. grand hotel. It was filmed at the Jefferson Hotel. Isn't that something? Were you? I was going to say you filmed podcasts there before, but you haven't. Uh, yes. Film podcast near there before. Yeah, yeah near, no. near there, near there. But we we thought about doing it at the Jefferson. Yeah, isn't that amazing? Yeah, that is, that is amazing. All right, well, well, I've gone on too long about it, but it, it, it's. I was stunned that it was worth seeing. It's forty years ago. It's kind of timeless because they're talking about things that are not based on contemporary events, uh, and yet their discontents are similar to the discontents people have today. It's right. quite fascinating. Okay, so my, you you had something... dinner with Andre. Yes, if anybody wants to. Right. So you, you were talking about no, just a small snippet. So uh, you know, Granger and his wife Nico have been uh, embarking on looking for a house, mm-hmm. and so uh, we've been uh, cheering them on and sometimes participating. So I was just noticing, and you know, uh, an article in the New York Times about robots join the sales team. And uh, that robots are beginning to act as real estate agents. Oh, you're really. kidding. Yeah. Like uh, you go to an open house. Yeah. And instead of having a um, real estate agent standing there to answer yeah. your questions, there's a robot. And you just ask the questions to the robot. Literally, physically a robot? Physically a robot. Here's a picture. See? The robot. Wow. Well, okay. well, it looks I, like it's just like a screen or something. Well, uh, you know, some of them are more elaborate than others. And they that can is move hysterical. around. They can, you know, they have speech I, recognition. I, I can see advantages in that, honestly. Yeah. Well, real well estate because we're, like that. you know, we've had some mixed, lackluster yes. real estate agent mixed, experiences. Mixed experiences, yes. And uh, to some extent, a robot could probably could have given us and would have given us more information. It certainly would have been uh, more straight. So that's very interesting. They're also being used quite a bit, apparently, or are beginning to be used quite a bit in rental situations. Because it says here the real estate agents don't get anything uh, out of the rentals. Um, so And the questions are less 
uh, in depth. Mm-hmm. Um, people, you know, people are not going to own the place, so they're less picky and less, you know, um, interested in the minutia of it. So it's stuff that a robot can handle. So you're probably going to see uh, a lot more of that, and that may be handy. Yes, I'll so look is that like to it. something where if the people are selling their house? They don't have to pay as much of a commission to the company. Not necessarily. If they use a robot. Not necessarily. I don't know if that's what it about. Is that what it about? Oh, the that's interesting. Like, yeah, it could um, be. Yeah, that that could easily. Well, be. Well, but you see some advertisements maybe for lower. The concept is like if it's a lower touch, then they're not paying for as much. Yeah. But support. it may be also easier. Maybe uh, easier to see a house because. First of all, a lot of the houses now, you know, you just have some code on the lockbox, yeah. and they have smart lockboxes, so the code can right. constantly change. So this way, somebody could go see a house, mm-hmm. walk in, um, the owners vacate or whatever, mm-hmm. but you wouldn't have to meet. You wouldn't have to. It wouldn't have to be a time that's uh, okay with the real estate agent. You just walk in and ask the robot the questions, mm-hmm. and uh, so it gives. And the robot's uh, always there. Yeah. So uh, I mean, I can no see the no downside price. of the robot not selling it to you yeah. sometimes you need someone to sell you a product for yeah, you to buy it but uh, the real estate agents have to soft pedal because there's well maybe this. that's a maybe that's a, a next step like, you because know. there's like with a house there's you know pluses and minuses to mm. a lot of stuff so mm. that's part of the you know the skill of a good real estate agent is yeah. to really put uh. the shine on the the positive aspects and be like oh that's something you can fix. Yeah, so, like, that's well, easily. Remedied. I agree with that, but I mean, a real estate is such a big investment that I think you kind of get past that level. Well, they have a quote from uh, Kelly Miller, a broker associate um, with a company out in California, and uh, she says she was skeptical. Part of finding an ideal home means having your needs understood, and requires building a relationship between buyer and agent. A robot may be conven- convenient and efficient. But it can't do that. Well, that's what Sadie's talking about. Well, yeah, I can understand to some extent. I mean, if you really do find a good real real estate agent and he or she understands what you are looking for and can lead you to that, that, that's a real, there's real value to that. But in terms of just unlocking a door and letting you see a place that you've already found yourself on Zillow. um, Yeah, I could see it as an advantage if you're like trying to see it and see a house in an off time. Mm -hmm. But I would see the, I would guess that the real estate agents are there during the big open house or the broker's open or whatever. I don't think they're trusting that with a robot. Well, that's good. I look forward to that. Uh, So I don't want to dwell too much on the sale of the Mets. I think I even mentioned it the last time. Uh, Steve Cohn was approved as the owner, but I just wanted to read this one line. By the way. What? Sidney and I uh, hiked with somebody. Oh, that's right. Well, From from the Mets. Mom is chatting people up about the the sale. At Mohawk, uh, yeah. And uh, this person who uh, works in the Mets organization was thrilled with the uh, transition. Well, one of the reasons, I, I think you told me he worked in security for the Mets. And one of the reasons he was probably... Dad, we don't need to blow anyone's okay. comfort here. One of the reasons... Especially for the security. There's part. a lot of people who work on security. My point is that the article does note that the new owner restored the pre-pandemic salaries of all Mets employees, reversing 5 to 30% pay cuts implemented in March. So he had reason probably to celebrate even more than I do. Uh, the new owner of the Mets. But what I loved about this article in the New York Times about it is the first line, which is, uh, you know, a great truth. The greatest frustration for a diehard fan is to believe you care more than the owner of your favorite team. And that is, Sadie's nodding, that is true. Uh, And that happens. 
or if you even care more than the players, which can be the case. Uh, that's the roughest thing. Do I care more than the actual team? And now there's, And now you have the feeling that Cohen cares? The quote from Cohen says, I'm essentially doing it for the fans. When I really thought about this, I realized I could make millions of people happy. And what an incredible opportunity that is. He's a oh. lifelong Mets fan. Isn't that I hope what, he makes you guys happy. Isn't that what your friend said at Mohonk? He said that the owner is really a, a genuine fan. Yeah. All right. Well, now we know. If, if the guy at Mohonk said it, and yeah. then, then I think we it's... We get all our best sports tips from Mohonk. That's obviously it's the case. I, I underestimate I mean, you've had Giants encounters there. Well, now we can write you? the trip off. Oh, yeah, I did. Well, I, I met uh, Dave Gettleman, the uh, general manager of the Giants at Mohonk. That's, that's, All the big New York sports deals are done at Mohonk, basically. Yeah. I said to him, you know, you know, you look a lot like Dave Gettleman. He gave me a little smile. He says, yeah, well, I am Dave Gettleman. Mm. Mm. All right, moving along. All right. So you had a tie-dye article, Sadie. Mm-hmm. Tell us I about did. that. It's about six months too late, I would say. Well, what does it say? <laughs> the Wall Street Journal has decided that tie-dye is a trend. Too bad that tie-dye was on the runways last fall. Oh, is that right? And people realized when the pandemic started, oh my goodness, this is something I can do at home. So, yeah, it was basically just, you know, asking a, a bunch of people um, in different, you know, with different jobs, with different interests about their new interest in tie-dye. And people are interested, turns out. Turns out it's a great COVID activity. So It turns out you can tie-dye Anything that's not nailed down. Basically, yes. Some husbands seem worried about that. Well, it's better than tie-dye <laughs> things that are fo- foldable, you know? <laughs> um, let me ask but you, you this. But really, you could dip-dye a lot of stuff, too. You have the shiniest white kitchen of anybody in the universe. Yes. How do you maintain that? When you're working with all this dye. Well, I should say... And aren't you incredibly nervous? I've done a lot of tie-dyeing in the last six months. Yeah. And the key is you do a lot of preparation so that when you're in tie-dye mode, you know what to do and you're not trying to, like, you know, like, take off your gloves and go check your computer or, like, you, you can do everything all at once so you're not messing around too much. So that's one okay. is to prep. It's like when you do a new, you know, you have to be disciplined. A new recipe in the kitchen, like you want to read the whole recipe first, know what you're getting into before you Ooh, start. Now really she tells me. I had no read idea. the whole recipe. Boy. Next thing you're going to say, you read directions. You don't want to preheat you... the oven and then read that the dough has to rest overnight. Oh. That's not a good move. Oh, you know, that's another good tip. Are you writing these down? Yeah, I'm full of them. All right, and then step two is. I would put, I have an island that's all white, and I put a plastic tablecloth on the island, a disposable plastic tablecloth, and then two black trash bags that will lay flat. So I've got layers of protection. Okay. And then I have rags at the ready if I splatter. I, I would be very nervous. Very, very nervous. Well, I've done, I've done gray, I've done blue, I've done pink, and I've done green. Mm-hmm. I've done several shades of blue. And so far, so good. All right, knocking on wood for you. All right, well, here, on wood. our final story really is just an extension of this issue about keeping things clean. And there's an article in the Times, perhaps the most useful thing I've read in the Times for some time. There's an article called How to Clean Your Glasses. Hmm. Oh, Sadie's interest is peaked. And it's not what you think, Sadie, or maybe it is. Maybe you know something I, I don't realize. I hear there are two, two camps on this. Uh, really? Do you use a product or do you just use water? Well, let me walk through the steps, Sadie. Let's not make it more complicated than it has to be. Step one is to remove visible gunk with cotton swabs. 
That's more of a hygiene thing. And if you have visible gunk, you have other yeah, issues. How much gunk? Yeah, do you I mean that's that's a different kind of person. Step it's, two. I mean, I could name a few people, but that's right. Step two: <laughs> rinse under running water. Okay. And here's something, a little tip for you. The fact that there are steps to Avoid cleaning dry lenses with microfiber cloths. I know you have your microfiber cloths at the ready. Dry. You said dry. Yeah, yeah. Avoid, that's right, dry lenses with microfiber. Not something you want to do because that just redistributes grease and rubs in microscopic debris. Mm -mm -mm. All right. So rinse your glass under running water. Okay, now we're on a roll. Number three, add dish soap. Rub gently and rinse. See, I usually just use a glass cleaner. Well, I'm sure a glass cleaner is fine, but dish soap, more people have. You squirt a pea-sized drop of dish soap I don't, I don't onto the front and back I don't of each one. I meet anyone who doesn't have glass cleaner in their house. I don't think we do. But now, Oh, you mean like Windex you're yes. talking about? I was avoiding the brand names, uh, but yes. I, I don't know. Windex, I think. I don't know about Windex. Windex is a little harsh. All right. Well, go on with your story. All right. All right. So now we've got the dish soap on. We're rubbing gently. We're rinsing. And then we shake them dry. And then what comes in? The microfiber cloth. Now we're ready to go. With a clean microfiber cloth, you finish it up by drying them. Okay? Did you get all those steps? Did you find $10 after that? <laughs> I thought you'd be interested. It's a very useful, uh, I think, uh, very useful right. advice. I can't see what, I can't wait till next week to see what I wash my glasses a lot. Clean. As someone who has about six pairs of blue light glasses now, I wash them a lot. Uh, all right, good. All right. Well, uh, I thought that was a valuable contribution. Perhaps I was the only one. Right. So that's it uh, for this uh, week's installment of Tamsin and Dan Read the Paper. I'm Dan Abuhoff. I'm Tamsin Granger. And you? I'm Sadie. <laughs> and uh, we'll see you next we'll week. We'll see you next week.